you know, it, it, it's amazing. And I was just sitting back there praying, and I, I, I think about myself, and it's like, I, I can feel like on top of the world one second, and like a minute later, just ready to die. You know what I mean? You ever feel like that? It, it, it's like, and nothing even changes that much. I just think even this morning, like, I'll just go through these highs and lows where it's like one moment I'll just feel like, oh, okay, we're going to change the world. We in this room, we're going to change the world. You know, we're, we're going to do this college. We're going to be, you know, getting all these people in ministry all around the world. You know, we've got this DVD project coming around. We're almost done with it, and we're going to get to every single person in Simi Valley. We have millions of dollars we want to send overseas and care for the poor, take care of them. We're planting churches all around America, you know, and we're just preparing more and more. I just get so fired up going, man, this is like this church planting movement, this whole way of changing Christian education. You know, we're just going to impact the world for Christ. And then it's like one minute later, I'll just feel like, I quit. I'm just done. This is too much. And, it, and it's, it's amazing. It's like even between services, you know, a couple people will come up and just throw a few jabs at you. And you're just like, you know what, forget this then. You know, and it's just like these highs and lows or one minute you just feel like you're on top of the world. And the next minute you feel like giving up. And I, I don't think a, a month goes by where I don't think about quitting, you know. And you, you just, you, you know, sometimes I'll just sit and I'll daydream about, maybe you do this, I'll just daydream about how I could make my life so much easier, you know. You know, I think I could sell my house in Southern California, move to Montana, you know, buy a big castle for 100000 you know. <laughs> And just kind of live off the interest, you know, make some investments, preach a couple times a month, milk a cow, you know, and just <laughs> hang out with my family, you know, and just have a good life, you know. And, and, you know, I'll just sit and think about all the places in the world I could be and doing all these things where just relaxing, be with my family, or I could just stress myself out here and try to change the world, you know. And, and you just think, well, you know, okay, maybe I'll go, maybe I'll go, maybe I'll go. But the truth is, is I know... I'll never go. And there's one reason, and, and it's, it's, uh, it's <laughs> thank you. No, no but it, it, it's not even, it's just, it's, it's about purpose. When you know you're created for something, then the ultimate fulfillment in life is when you're used to that purpose. It doesn't matter if you're exhausted. It doesn't matter if you come to the end of the day and you're just spent and you can't even keep your eyes open. There's a fulfillment you get from being used for your purpose that you can't get from anything else. I don't care how many vacations you go on, how relaxing of a life you try to create. Inside, you just know, you know what? This isn't as fulfilling as going out and doing what I was created for, what I was made for. And uh, it's kind of like, any guys into NASCAR? How many people into NASCAR? Okay, two people. That's just kind of the trendy thing, and I'm a trendy guy. And so uh, NASCAR, I don't know anything about NASCAR, you know, but uh, I could borrow this from Ron Wilson. This is, a, this is a race car. It's a guy named Dale Jarrett. 800 horsepower, that's all I know. Four wheels, you know, it, it just, uh, it, it's, it's like if you got this car, the real car, you know, and you could, you could take that car, you could take that race car, and just go, you know what I'm going to do with it? 
I'm never going to go over 55 miles an hour. Because, you know, it's, just, it's less wear and tear on the vehicle. This way it's going to last longer and it's going to be safer. You know, and you can do that. You can take it to the market, drop the kids off at school, this and that, and in your race car and just go, oh, it's going to last so much longer now. But you know who's going to be going crazy? The guy who built it. Because he's going to look at you and go, that's not what I built it for, you know. And he knows what it's capable of. That belongs on a track. It should be going 200 miles an hour. You know, just, just going for it. And you're taking it to the market. He would just be going crazy if you did that with his car. See, I believe the person who made you is going crazy in that sense. Just going, some of you guys are just cruising and that's not what I made you for. I created you with this potential. I made you with so much ability and I know what you're capable of, but you're thinking, well, let me cruise. You know, this will make my, laugh, my, my life, life last longer. It'll be comfortable. It's safer. So let me just do this and just do a few little things for the Lord when he's saying, that's not what I made you for. There's so much more. I mean, don't you sometimes yourself just inside of you just go, there's more. There's more. There's something more that I was made for. You know, it's not just surviving. It's not just paying the mortgage. It's not just, you know, doing a few things for the Lord here or there. I know I was made for a greater purpose. Do you ever feel that? I mean, are you feeling that right now? Almost like this sense of restlessness, like you're, like you're this race car rearing to go and you're just going to the market. You know, and you're just cruising at 30 miles an hour. And you go, you know what, God, there's so much more. And yet... I believe, I, I really believe what the Scriptures teach me is that all of us have been given an assignment from God that is impossible to accomplish by our own power. That we're all given these tasks here on this earth that are just impossible. There's no way you can accomplish it by your own power. And, and, and I know that. And so, so I have a choice every morning. I can get up and get depressed and go, oh man, this is too much. I can't handle it anymore. You know, and everything else. Or I can wake up and say, you know what? This is awesome. I'm going to do something that I can't do by my own power. God's Spirit is going to work in me and I'm going to do some things that have never been done before and, and, and to get excited about life. And the crazy thing, it's not just even waking up in the morning, it's minute by minute. You know, where there's days where, and then there's moments, there's minutes, even this morning where I just felt like, we're going to do it, we're going to change church history. This is huge. To, I'm done. I'm done. This is lame. I'm never going to pull it off. You know? And, and, and you remember, and, and, and nothing really changes. It's not really like circumstances change all that much because I can be in the exact same situation, one minute feel great on top of it, and the next minute feel like I just want to die. Have you done that before? And nothing's changed except for your mind, your perspective. And remember how I, I said a few weeks ago that if we would just focus on the cross and think about the cross more, how we'd have so much more joy. You know, and how, how no matter how difficult our circumstances in, we can always rejoice in the Lord if we just really stop and think about the fact that any second I'm going to be in paradise. You know, any moment I'm going to be in paradise with God. And we talked about the more you focus on the cross, the more joy you're going to have. Well, what I want to say this week is the more you focus on the resurrection, the more confident you're going to be and the more power you're going to have. You know, while I believe the cross brings me joy the resurrection just brings me power 
where I start thinking about the power of the resurrection, and I go, you know what? I can do anything. I, I mean, try to imagine, right? This may seem a little morbid. Imagine a dead body lying on our stage. Okay, right there in the middle. A dead body is laying on the stage. Let's say a body that's been dead for a few days. It's starting to rot. It's starting to smell. We're grossed out as we stare at this corpse. And then what if as we're all staring at it, it stands up, recovers. This person starts walking around the room, shaking your hand. And at first you're like, you know, what is this? And then he's laughing, talking, and you realize, no way. And we'd walk out of this room going, I can't believe what I just saw. The Bible says, the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead now lives in us. That if we really focused on the resurrection, really, we really believed it happened, and then we realized that the scripture teach us, teaches us that the spirit of him who raised him is now inside of us, we would live with so much more confidence if we focused on the resurrection and we go, wait a second, I, I, that, that body rose from the dead. If you can do that, you can do anything in me. I mean, then, then what can't he do through me? To really believe that, to say, God, you raised the dead and to focus on that resurrection should cause me to go, okay, God, man, then let's change the world. Okay, do something through me. That's just impossible. You know, Paul, when he, when he says in uh, Philippians, he says, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. He goes, he goes I want to know Christ. I really want to know him, but not just him. I want to know, really know the power of the resurrection. I want to experience that type of power in my life. I want to know it. Don't you want to know it? Don't you want to just go, not just live life like everyone else, and, oh, I guess I've got to raise a family, have a job, do this. Or do you want to just experience the power of God and say, God, I want to experience the power of the resurrection. I want to know that much power in my life because I believe that's what I'm created for. I want to experience more than just the natural I want you to do things through me that are impossible, like Christ rising from the grave. I want to know that kind of power. And as we talk about the resurrection these next couple of weeks, my prayer is that you come out of this just really believing, just really believing that you can do great things by the power that's inside of you. The Spirit of Him who raised Christ from the dead now dwells in you. And that's an amazing thing. You believe that. And are you, are, are you going to go and pursue and, and, and just keep believing and dreaming that God's going to do great things in your life? The, the, the story's pretty uh, familiar to us in Luke 24. I mean, we've, we've heard the resurrection story many times. You know, every Easter, if you've been going to church, you hear the resurrection story. You hear it, you know, throughout the year, you know, at church. And I'm going to read it again. You know, Luke 24, starting in verse 1. I'm not going to, you know, give a ton of details on every word, but, uh, you know, because we want to we understand the story in its totality. And in Luke 24, verse 1, it says, On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered, they didn't find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He's not here. He's risen. 
Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee, the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men, be crucified, and on a third day be raised again. Then they remembered his words. Okay, remember that where we left off last week? You know, Joseph from Arimathea took, took the body, you know, of Christ, the dead body, and lays it in the tomb, and then they prepared the body, but they wanted to hurry up and get everything done before um, the Sabbath. You know, because it was Friday, the sun was starting to set, okay, he, he's dead, you know, we, we took care of the body, okay, and now let's not do anything, because now it's a Sabbath, it's a day of rest. You know, so they do nothing on Saturday, then here it is, early Sunday morning, the women go, okay, let's go back, and they had these spices, and the whole idea of these spices is, is it's really twofold. One, they were embalming the body, like the head and the face, um, but secondly, the, this idea of putting these spices on the body it's, it's very similar to what we do nowadays if there's a gravesite and you bring flowers and put it there. It's, you know, they would do that with spices and, and put it on the body. This is a sign of honor, kind of respect, remembrance. And so they get to the tomb. They're all ready to do this. And, and they walk in. There's no, no body. Then suddenly it says, boom, these two beings appear. And it says their clothes were like lightning. So just this bright, glowing, fluorescent beings and they just fall on their faces, you know, like, like all of us would. It's just like, what is that? Okay, what are you guys doing to me? Who are you? What, what, what is this all about? It says they're, they're in fright, their faces are to the ground, and then one of them speaks and says, why are you looking for the living among the dead? He's not here, he's risen. And he reminds them, don't you remember what Jesus told you when he was in Galilee, that he had to suffer, he had to die, but then he would rise on the third day? Why aren't you looking for that? Why aren't you expecting that? He told you this would happen. So the women, they go running back to the, the disciples in the next verse. In, in verse uh, 9, they, they want to tell everyone else what they saw. When they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the others. The eleven, talking about the, the, the apostles, the disciples. Remember Jesus had twelve disciples? And, uh, but then Judas betrayed him and hung himself, and now there's 11 left. They run back to them, because these are the followers of Jesus. And the rest of the disciples that are huddled together, in verse 10 it says, It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the others with them who told this to the apostles. But they did not believe the women, because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves, and he went away wondering to himself what had happened. You know, it, it, this, this kind of surprised me, that the women come running back and go, man, we got to the tomb, and remember how he said he was going to rise from the dead? Well, his body wasn't there, and these two angels show up and tell us, what are you even doing here? He said he was going to rise, and then the disciples hear this and go, that's nonsense. That's nonsense. That doesn't make any sense. You know, get, get a, these are idle tales is the term that it is translated. It's just you're, just, you're just telling us a fairy tale here. Come on, that didn't happen. These are the disciples. And, and then Peter, Peter runs to the tomb. He goes, runs, and he goes, oh, I want to see it myself. And then he sees, all he sees is the linen, you know, claws. And, and it says that he starts wondering to himself what happened. He didn't even believe. Oh, I wonder why these, these linen cloths are lying here. He's trying to figure out what happened. And Okay, I understand. I understand how far-fetched this would be. Like, like if we all had loved ones pass away. 
What if someone told you today, these angels appeared to me. I went to the, you know, the cemetery to, to, to you know, just throw some flowers down and, uh, you know, this being said that he's alive now or she's alive now. And they came back and told you that. What would you think? Shut up. Don't, don't even get my hopes up. Don't get me excited. Come on, that doesn't really happen. I can, of course, that's what we would feel. But when I look at this story, I go, but this is, these are the disciples. This is Peter running and seeing this. And my mind goes, okay, wait a second, Peter. You're wondering what happened when he told you what was going to happen? Remember, you went up on the mountaintop. Remember when you were up on the mountaintop with Jesus and his face started shining like the sun? Remember an old body just started glowing and you guys fell on your faces and these two beings from heaven came down? You saw that. You saw Moses and Elijah and Jesus on that mountaintop glowing like the sun and the cloud came and the voice came. Peter, you saw Jesus walking on water. Remember that? Remember you stepped to the boat and you took a couple steps and go, whoa, I'm walking on water. And then you sank. You know, you remember that? Do you remember when you saw Him you know, take the two fish and the, the five loaves and feed thousands of people? Remember that? You remember that he, this is the same guy that you saw? He took a guy who was blind from birth and gave him sight. You saw him heal a paralyzed guy. You saw him heal people with leprosy. Their arms are falling off. And he's like, oh, you know. And, and everything's coming back together. You saw, you saw the tomb of Lazarus. He was dead for four days. This Jesus comes and says, Lazarus, get up. And you saw a dead man get up in front of your eyes walk out of that tomb, and you spoke to him, you saw him. So you think, maybe, maybe, when this person said that he would die and rise again, that maybe that's where he is? And maybe that's why he's not in the tomb anymore? See, I look at that and I go, gosh, Peter saw everything. These disciples saw everything, experienced everything. And Jesus told them this was going to happen, and they thought it was nonsense. And honestly, I, I thought about that and I thought, okay, these people saw everything. They didn't believe in the resurrection. So I'm supposed to come in this room 2,000 years later, talk to a bunch of people who don't have never seen any of those miracles, and I'm supposed to convince you that it happened? Let's go, Lord, how, how in the world do I do that? How in the world do I, I you know, because, you know, even this whole DVD project we've been putting together, you know, where we would just put the whole gospel in one DVD that we want to get to every single person in this city. You know, I'm watching it the other day and I think, okay, we're trying to convince people that God sent His Son down to the earth and take the form of a man. The God, the Creator of all this, had His Son come down in the form of a man and have Him nailed to a cross to pay for all of our crimes. And then they buried the body and then three days later the body comes out and starts walking again and talking to people. I'm supposed to convince people of this when the disciples who saw all the miracles still didn't believe at that point? So God, what, what is this assignment I've been given? You know? And yet the Scriptures tell us, you know, what, what gives us confidence is, is in John 16... Jesus said to the disciples when he was leaving the earth, he goes, you know what, it's actually to your advantage that I leave. Because when I go, I'm going to send my spirit. I'm going to send the counselor down there on the earth. And he's actually going to convict people. And he's actually going to open their eyes and have them see that this is true. 
And so it was just a comforting thing to go, okay, it's not my job. It's not my job to come up here. And I could. I could give you proofs. I could say, hey, you know what? Did you know? Did you guys know that the guy that uh, started Harvard uh, Law School, a school of law, Simon Greenleaf, the one who kind of came up with uh, the, the way which we can... Uh, accept things in evi- as evidence in a court of law, that he said if you take all the evidences of the resurrection and put them in a court of law, you'd come up, you'd have to believe in the resurrection. Do you realize that there's more evidence, more historical evidence o- over the resurrection of Jesus Christ than there is of the existence of Julius Caesar? There's more evidence that points to the resurrection of Christ than there is that Julius Caesar ever existed we can, go, we can go through history, we can go through prophecy, we can go through archaeology and everything else, and I could stand up here and go, oh yeah, but and this guy researched this and this and this and this and this and try to convince you intellectually, but the Bible says that's really not my job. That somehow you hear the story and the Holy Spirit of God, because Jesus rose from the grave, that he'll attest to you that it's true. And, uh, and all I can do is tell you, I believe with all my heart and I know for a fact that Jesus Christ really did die on that cross for me and he really did pay for all my crimes so at the end of my life I'm not going to pay for them and he really did rise from the grave and he hears me when I pray to him and I experience his power and it's the power to change lives that I can stand here on this platform and go you know what I can tell a story like that and it'll impact people and people's lives will be totally turned around not because it's this story that's just so easily believed but because of the spirit of God because there is this power on this earth and believing in that resurrection power. This story, it goes on. This, this is a really interesting thing. You know, I never really looked at this a lot till, till this week. But verse 13 talks about how a couple of disciples that same day were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. And as they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them but they were kept from recognizing him. Okay? So the same day, a couple of disciples are walking, and then Jesus, the resurrected Christ, comes up and starts walking next to them. But it says that they were kept from recognizing. You know, it's this verb tense that's passive, like something was happening to them, like God was causing this, this blindness or something to where they wouldn't know who Jesus was as he walked along with them. And it's an interesting story because then Jesus asked them in verse 17, since they don't know who he is, he asked them, hey, what are you guys talking about? What are you guys discussing during this journey? And they stood still, it says, and their faces downcast. One of them named Cleopas asked him, what, are you a visitor to Jerusalem? You don't know the things that have happened here in these days? And Jesus goes, what things? Okay, so Jesus is going, okay, well, tell me, tell me what's been happening here. And then verse 19, he says, it's about Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one that was going to redeem Israel. And what's more, it's the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning but didn't find his body. They came, told us that they'd seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. And then some of our companions went to the tomb and they found it just as the women had said. But him they did not see. And he said to them, How foolish you are. How slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Christ have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? 
And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. Okay, this is, this is a very important story. Okay, because as they're walking along and Jesus goes, so tell me, what's been going on? And they're both just like depressed. They just sit and stare and their faces downcast like, you don't know. And they go on to tell a story. There was this guy, Jesus. You know, telling Jesus, there was this guy, Jesus. He was powerful. Man, he was performing miracles. We knew he was a prophet of God. In fact, we thought, okay, here's the Christ. He's going to redeem Israel. We're no longer going to be under the yoke of the Roman Empire. He's going to overthrow. He's going to set his kingdom. We were so fired up. But then he died. You know, it's like, oh, those darn chief priests and those elders, they handed him over and they killed him. We were that close. This was the guy that was going to deliver us. Man, he was our deliverer. He was our Messiah. But then, oh, man, they killed him. And uh, so all the hope is gone. You see, they looked at it as though the death of, a Christ, of Christ was an accident. Something that wasn't planned. And, and Jesus has to explain to them. That's why he asked that question. He goes, don't you wonder... First he says, how foolish. He calls them foolish. How foolish you are. The word foolish is literally absence of intelligence. Just, you guys, you morons, do you not understand? I mean, that's what he's saying. How foolish. He goes, don't you understand? This is what had to happen. Didn't you understand that Christ would have to suffer? It was necessary. It's not an accident. It's not something for you to cry about as though, you know, there was a mistake and something happened. Oh, he accidentally died. You guys, this is very important because even nowadays, people still believe this. That Jesus failed by dying. And they don't understand that this was the plan. They, they thought he, he failed in the plan. That's, that's how the whole unification church started. You know, with Reverend Some Young Moon, you know, who said that Jesus failed in his mission by dying, so I've come to complete the mission, and all these people start following him. The Muslims, the Muslims say that, you know what, Jesus didn't actually die on that cross. You know, God, in his mercy, you know, to vindicate this prophet, switched, you know, and put a different body up on the cross. So Jesus never died. And what Jesus says is, you fools, don't you understand that Christ had to suffer? And then what he does is it says that starting with Moses, he went back all the way through the scriptures and explained to them that this had to happen this way. That this wasn't this freak accident. You've got to get this in your head. Okay, the death of Christ was not something that God came up with 2,000 years ago. Okay, it wasn't that some new idea where oh, everyone was treating him bad, oh, they're going to kill him. Okay, I'll let them kill him and say it's for the death of, you know, for the sins of the world. No, it wasn't this accident. And Jesus was explaining, what, what are you, foolish? Look, look at the Scriptures. And He takes them back from the very beginning and said, look, all through, ever since Moses, the prophet, they were all talking about this sacrifice that needed to take place. And you've got to understand this. The death of Christ was not something that originated 2,000 years ago. In fact, uh, it, Acts explains um, that... that uh, that it was the predetermined plan of God. It was the predetermined plan of God. Acts chapter uh, 2, verse 23 says, This man was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge. 
And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to a cross. The Bible says, yeah, you guys with wicked men, you nail him to a cross, but this was God's plan. And this was according to his foreknowledge. He knew this was going to happen. This was the plan, and Jesus shows that through Scripture, that it's always been about the sacrifice that was going to come. I really think there's evidence to take it back to Adam and Eve. That from the beginning of time, understand Christianity, this, this death of Christ is not something that originated 2,000 years ago. I hear that argument all the time. I go, no, 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 this is from the beginning of time. Think about it. Adam and Eve, they sinned. They ate of the fruit. And what did they discover? They were... Naked, okay. I'm never good at charades. You're like, oh, happy. Uh, no, no. They found themselves naked, remember? They recognized good from evil, you know, and they try to put leaves on them and everything else. But what does God do? It says in, in, in Genesis chapter 3, verse 21, it says, The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. He made garments of skin. Where did he get that skin? Did a deer hop up? Here, you can have mine. You know, and unzipped it and, and tossed it to God? No, no, no. They don't do that. What, what it was, what happened? There was a sacrifice, right? An animal was slaughtered. And the skins were given to cover up the shame of Adam and Eve. You know, you move on to, to, to Cain and Abel. Cain and Abel, remember when they both brought their sacrifices to the Lord? And God didn't accept the sacrifice of Cain. Why? Because it was all like berries and fruits and vegetables, but he accepted Abel's. Why? Because it was meat. There was a blood sacrifice. You, you take it to, to, the, to the Exodus with Moses. And uh, remember when, when the, that last plague was going to come and he was going to kill the firstborn ever, you know, of, of all of Egypt, except for those who would slay the lamb. He says, if you want your firstborn protected, kill a lamb tonight. Take the blood Put it over your doorpost. Spread that blood over it. Because I should punish everyone, but I come over and I see blood over that house. That blood will save you. You know, and then they celebrate Passover every year for hundreds and hundreds of years. You know, you read the book of Leviticus. Then you get into Leviticus. And man, from page one to the end, it's all about blood, right? Kill this. Sprinkle its blood. Kill that. Kill that. Kill that. Blood, 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 blood. You know why? All for an atonement for your sins. And then you get into the prophets and you get into Isaiah and Isaiah talks about this one that's going to come and he's going to be pierced for our transgressions. And it's by his wounds that we're going to be healed. And so Jesus taking these two guys through it, he goes, man, don't you see the Christ had to suffer? This was the plan. This is the way it's been from the beginning. This wasn't a mistake. He had to suffer, but then he would rise again. So he's explained to these two guys as they're walking, and obviously he connects with them, you know, after calling them fools, um, because as he's going on, then they invite him to dinner. And they invite him to stay. If you, you look at the next verse, verse 28, it says, As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus acted as if he were going further. But they urged him strongly, Stay with us, for it's nearly evening, the day's almost over. So he went in to stay with them. And when he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, he broke it, and began to give it to them. And it says, then their eyes were open, and they recognized him, 
and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? And then they got up, returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them assembled together saying, it's true. The Lord has risen and he has appeared to Simon. And, and then the two told about what happened along the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. Okay, so he's at dinner with these guys, you know, who didn't know who he was, but once he broke the bread and they remembered the Lord's Supper. And the way he broke it or something, God opened their eyes and go, they go, this is him. And then once they recognize him, it says they disappear, that he disappeared. And, and, and then they start talking to each other. And, and I can just picture that. The one guy goes, okay, that was weird. <laughs> okay. But don't you remember that that was the Christ? I mean, when we were walking along the road and we were just talking to this guy and he started sharing, once he started talking, didn't you feel this weird thing inside like you just knew this is not the normal speech of a person? Like, wasn't your heart just burning and leaping inside? And the other guy goes, yeah, absolutely. And I, I bring that up because that's been my prayer this week is... You know how when I was sharing the story earlier, the foolish story of how do I get people to believe that God came down, took the form of a man, died on a cross, buried, rose again, and yet I tell you that story. And when I tell you and when I say, you know, hey, this is true. God loves you so much. God, your Creator, loves you so much that rather than punishing you for your crimes, the greatest act of love ever, He had His Son come down and become one of us and, and be nailed to a cross. And on that cross, He was paying for your crimes. And then He was buried. And then three days later, He rises again to show us, you know, there's life after death. He is the resurrection and the life. When I tell you that story, some of you in this room, your hearts burn. You go, yeah, I know. I know and I believe it with all of my heart. And I can't explain that. Like I said, it wasn't all the facts and, you know, figures that got to me. It was just at some point I just knew I couldn't deny. I know with all of my heart, Jesus Christ really is the Son of God. He really died on that cross for me. And I know I'm forgiven. I've done some rotten things in my life and I'm forgiven of those things because He paid for it on the cross. And I know He rose again and I know one day when I die, my life's not over. I'm an eternal being, you know, and I'm going to spend eternity with Him. And I know that He's alive and I know that He's in this room right now. He hears me. And, uh, and because of that, many of you hear me and your hearts burn when you hear this message. You know, I, uh, I guess what I'm just asking you today is, does your heart burn when you hear about the resurrection and do you remember that time when you first heard it and you just knew everything was true? And do you still believe and focus on it today? So much so that you can look at all the tasks and all the struggles you have in life and go, you know what, I can face them. Because Jesus rose from the grave. And if God can do that, He can do anything in me. And my prayer this week is that for some of you, you know, I hear it every week. People say, oh, I've been to church a hundred times and I've heard the gospel message a hundred times. But then today, for some reason, it just hit me and I knew it. You know, we had a few people baptized last service and this, this girl, I heard her walk in, this girl, Jessica, and then we just said, so, so why are you getting baptized? She goes, I can't explain it. I just know it's true now. You know, I grew up going to church, everything else, but 
I don't know. I just know now. And I know now. That, and it's like, I can't explain it. I, I've talked to so many people where I convinced them with so many arguments and they're just like, I, I don't believe it. I don't. A, a buddy of mine just, just a few days ago, a couple weeks ago, man, that I laid down every fact. We were in these two-hour debates and just giving them every detail. And then, you know, a few years later, some clown comes up and says, you need Jesus. And he goes, okay. You know, and... <laughs> I'm like, that's not fair. I did all the work, you know, or what? But it's like, you don't understand it. You go, it doesn't make any sense. It's just at some point you hear the message, and for some reason it just clicks, and you just know it's true. And you walk up in front of a bunch of people, get in a, a body of water, and get baptized, and say, I believe, and I'm ready to follow now. And and my prayer is that you know what? I'm not going to sit here and try to convince you of it. I just pray that the Holy Spirit for some of you. You just know it's time. It's time to give your life to Jesus and experience this resurrection power that I've been talking about.